Hunter now that you, you come to worship with us. Uh, this morning, um, the, a friend of mine is going to share with us. Uh, Joshua, Matthew, and I met back in 1998. I realized I've known him over half of my life. And uh, when you start talking in decades, I don't know, I just, it's, I don't, it doesn't, I'm not used to that yet. But uh, Joshua uh, <coughs> walked into my dorm and um, pronounced that uh, he said, hey, I'm Joshua and I'm from hell. And uh, it took me a little bit after I got over it. I realized that he was talking about that little town of Hell, Michigan. His dad was a pastor there. And um, Joshua uh, and um, his wife, Tamara, have been serving with what was until recently known as New Tribes Mission, a mission Elisa and I ministered with, and it's now called Ethnos 360. And their focus and heartbeat is to get the gospel uh, around the world, especially to those hard-to-reach places where the gospel has not yet gone, where they don't have the word of God in their own language. And Joshua and his wife, Tamara, um, minister at the Bible College, where, um, where Elise and I met, or we met Joshua and his wife uh, so many years ago. And they, um, they have continued serving there. He served in a number of different capacities, including dean of men for a while. And, and is there, uh, they have two Bible colleges, and they're consolidating the two, and they're merging into the one in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And so they're going to be moving there. He and his family will be moving there this upcoming uh, spring, right? Spring or summer? July. 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 Wow. July. July. Hot mic. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, be careful over there. <laughs> and, uh, and he is going to serve in the capacity of an alumni coach, staying in touch with those who have graduated and um, encouraging them to continue on with ministry and especially considering how they might serve in that role of tribal mission. So uh, without further ado, I just want to welcome Joshua here this morning. Thank you. And I hope you will too. I uh, have to ask you, Jeremiah, which one of these waters did you spit in already? Did you spit in this water or this water? Just to be safe. All right, hold on, time out. I'm giving you the one that you already cracked open, man. That's disgusting. Just kidding. I mean, I know we lived in the same dorm and all, but really, Jeremiah, really. Okay. Well, good morning, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Jeremiah. Thank you. Oh, hey, Elisa, how you doing? Uh, thank you. Oh, look, a little cup holder. How handy is that? Um, it is, like, already this morning, my socks have been blessed off. I Actually, my socks and part of my long johns. Because it's cold up here, and I'm cold all the time. This is how I know God did not call me to be one of those missionaries to, like, the polar bears. Uh, I don't, cold in me, there's not enough layers, but hot, that works all right. So anyway, my socks have been blessed off. Uh, just the worship this morning was, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think I sent you, like, I didn't send you any of my notes, did I? Come on, dude. It's creepy. Like, you were on point. Like, yeah, right? I know it was God, I'm just kidding. Um... No, like, it was it's such a blessing to worship with you guys. This is, like, I always forget, which is dumb because I'm, I mean, I'm smart enough, I'm old enough, I should know better by now. I always forget how encouraging it is to just, obviously, you guys aren't a random location, but, like, show up in a different place, in a different body of Christ, and sing the songs, and worship the Savior, and be reminded that we are this one gigantic body of Christ, and... Um, and there is such sweet joy, and I mean, you're bringing tears, I mean, there was dust in my eye, you know, while I'm singing over there, because, like, it's just such a sweet thing that we get to enjoy, and not, I don't know, like, not to mark it off that, I don't know if, okay, if, I don't know if I can say that, but, like, like, to the point of what I'm, what I want to talk with you guys about, like, we 
share such a privilege that, that we can sing words and, and I can feel feelings that it better is one day in his court, you know, better is one day in his house. That, I mean, not to steal thunder from this little video I'm going to show in a hot second here, but there, there are literally billions of people around the world that have no idea how sweet that is. They have n no idea that it's even available. You know, all they've got is fear and pain and torment and confusion about what happens after death. I mean, that's just their life now, and then they don't even know, and that's terrifying in its own sense. So I'm sitting over here, you know, crying, you know, in joy because I get to fellowship with you guys that I've, I think I've met maybe five of you, six of you, um, and, you know, there's sweet fellowship in that, but, man, I still get to fellowship with you because I know that, I, I mean, I've heard, don't tell, I stalked Jeremiah on the internet. I mean, I've heard Jeremiah preach the word of God to you guys, and, and I can see that you guys have experienced the word of God in your lives, and so, man, that's, that's huge that we get to fellowship together and celebrate that joy. So, I want to show you guys a quick video, kind of give some context before I start rambling anymore. That was all free. I didn't even talk about my notes. Jeremiah, thank you. I'm not even going to tell them the stories that I know about you from Bible school. You guys will appreciate that I'm not telling you, but <laughs> later, later, later. Uh, so I, I forgot that I introduced myself to Jeremiah that way. It would totally make sense. I was probably wearing some cheese ball yellow skydiving t-shirt or something when I walked in because I thought that was so cool. Uh, but I walked in, and I, I, like, I remember the face. So you walked in the door, and Jeremiah's desk was right here by the door. And he had his back kind of to the door, but he was, of course, studying the Bible because that's what Jeremiah loves to do and loved to do. That in golf, I think, right? So anyways, he's sitting at the desk, and I come in the door, and I see this. Well, his chair was like, like this low. I don't know why he had such a ridiculously short chair. But he turns towards me. And this, like, the first memory I have of Jeremiah is him going like this. <laughs> Which was probably when I said, hi, my name's Josh and I'm from hell. Uh, so I apologize. I didn't mean to scar you. Well, maybe I did mean to scar you, but anyway, I'm going to shut up now. And if you play that little video real quick, that'd be great. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the seven billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christian, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world. Just over one out of every four people on this planet 
who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% world A. Now onto missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from a church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than gets sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? Okay, so you probably saw from the like first side that was up there, you know, we're with Ethnos 360. Um, not Global Frontiers Mission, so I shamelessly stole that from them in the heart of Christian service. No, just kidding. Um, I didn't steal it from them. It was on YouTube, and you can watch it as many times as you want. Um, but, like, it goes back to the whole question uh, that, that the song, Better Is One Day, just raised in my mind as we were, as we were singing that. I, I count it such a privilege I really do, to be your brothers in Christ. And I want you guys, I want you guys to understand that there are, <laughs> there are so many ways that you can be involved 
in making sure that that two billion, now that number is actually a little outdated. Uh, the video's a little bit old, but not that far, but we're getting close now to three billion people uh, that have no access. It's, it's funny, as you keep looking for people around the world, you keep finding them. And the more, the more research we do into finding unreached people groups, the more we find. So really the number is closer to three billion at this point, but not to, not to poo-poo a billion people, but you get the idea. It's a lot of people that still have no idea. And I, I want to share with you guys what Tamara and I are doing and why we're doing it. Jeremiah, you kind of already stole my thunder, so thanks a bunch. You just, you know, wrecked my, wrecked my storyline. I'm just kidding. So we do. We work with Ethnos 360, and my wife and I, do you guys have a picture of my family back there? Hey, look at that. There they are. So she's the good-looking one. I'm the one with uh, the blue shirt on. Um, this is my wife, six kids. Uh, God blessed us. We were told that we were never going to have kids, actually. And what'd you say? You know, we make plans and God laughs. We're, Dan, where'd you go? Whatever. Anyway, we make plans, God laughs. And uh, six kids later, um, we decided we better stop. Um, actually, the doctors decided for us. Our last two, the smallest guys there, were both born very premature and just about killed mama. And uh, I said, we, we got to end this. But, you know, the first three were beautiful. The, the last three are, uh, they're, they're a fantastic ministry tool. Um, God uses them a lot to show me how much of a selfish uh, man I am. And it's such a blessing to have children. So those of you with kids, um, I will pray for you more if you have boys. We've joked that if we had three boys first, we would not have had three girls. Um, but that's because they're so sweet, and they never sleep. What in the world? They never sleep, and they always eat. But it's been a huge blessing to our ministry at the Bible school. So we went through the, the Bible school with Jeremiah and Elisa, and uh, we had great plans of heading overseas and finding an unreached people group and starting the translation, well, language learning process, culture learning process, all that. And uh, then God changed those plans as well, and we ended up back at the Bible school um, discipling, really, uh, following students along through. Jeremiah mentioned that I've, it's, it's really been a blessing uh, to be able to really find my, my niche, if you will, in ministry, like what is the thing that God can use. Um, the organization that we work with has, there's just so, so many, and I mean really it's probably just this, very similar to the local church. Um, if you've got a heart to serve, we can put you in a, in a position. And it's been great watching God finally get us to the point where our, our main ministry has been discipleship, working in the student life department. Um, I get to, my, my job was, before we shut down in March, um, my job was to make sure that uh, the guys knew how big, a, how big a punk they were in the dorm, really. No, um, officially my job was to make sure that they were the most prepared that they could be after Bible school. So it was a great opportunity. Two years of Bible training. Um, and I mean, Jeremiah, I could tell you, it was, it's a lot of class time. It's a lot of time studying the word of God. There's a lot of time just letting the word of God shave off the selfish areas of your life. And really, you know, just like you guys were talking about with your snow camp, you know, conform you to the image of Christ over two years. And yeah, we got to be involved with that with the single guys. So mentioned we're on our we're, we're en route uh, to Waukesha, Wisconsin. It's a little town just outside of 
Milwaukee, um, where the Bible schools have consolidated, and we're going to be alumni coaches. And I think that means that we're too old to be in the student life department because I now have gray in my beard all the time and in my hair, and you know it's been decades, multiple decades. So you, you're, we're not hip anymore. I think is what they're trying to tell us. But I'm just kidding. Uh, no, so we get to be alumni coaches, and we get to follow these Bible school grads through. Um, so th basically the training goes two years of Bible school, and then you go on to the training center down in Missouri where you learn how to learn a language and culture. And, I mean, that's another two years because it is a, it's quite a process to not understand the language and not understand the culture and then have to figure out how how to speak it and how to teach the gospel in this language so it it takes a while to get the we jokingly call it you know it feels like a crash course when you get to the field uh, as I've talked to missionaries that have gotten there it feels like you just got a crash course because you get to the field and then you have to learn how it looks here in in that context so we have been involved with that for 15 years, and it has been a blessing. God has totally used it to change our life. But I really, as we've made this transition, there's been a new phase that I really want to share with you guys. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I think you know some of you guys, if you're following me to the high school room, you'll get to hear a little bit more about this. But so part of being an alumni coach means that uh, we get to we get to hang out with students who aren't really students anymore. And one of the contexts we get to do that in is this trip. It's called the, it's, the it's officially a class, so you get credit for it, but it's called the MI-295, and we call it the encounter trip. If you can run that slideshow, I'll talk you through this real quick. So, uh, oh, I, I can, you guys told me that I can use this thing. I'm, I'm really, I got it. Okay, so MI-295, we went to the Philippines, and we got to see a whole bunch of missionaries over there doing what we do. So that's me rocking the uh, ratty, uh, Michigan t-shirt. We were pouring a cement floor for a church. Awesome trip. Uh, it was about two and a half weeks. The hottest I've ever been in my life. It was fantastic. And uh, yeah, we got to ride on these weird vehicles called, they call it a chariot. It's really like a dirt bike with a bed on it. I don't know, but it works. Uh, it took us 40 hours in a plane, 10 of us, three planes. I don't know, 40 hours in a plane is a long time. I don't know how like James Bond does that in all those movies. Maybe it's Hollywood, but it was grueling, grueling trip to get over there. Um, and at the end of our trip, at the end of our trip in a plane, uh, we had to travel there. Uh, it, we landed in Mindanao, which is like on the southernmost island. Super rainy. They call it the Garden Island because it's always green. Uh, and to the left of your screen there, you see these little dots. That's where the gas-powered vehicle ended. And then we had to cross that river. Uh, now, the twisted individual that was our trip leader uh, said it's just going to be a 45-minute walk. But what he neglected to mention was even though, it, I mean, I think it says like about three miles there. Uh, even though it's only about three miles, uh, that's a topo map there. You start at just about sea level, and you go up to like 4,000 feet, and then down, and then up again. It was it was grueling. After 40 hours, jet lag, it was awesome. We were definitely at the end of ourselves waiting for Jesus to come take us. Um, but we didn't get to go home to see Jesus yet. We ended up in this little village called Nabankal, where there are missionaries that have been there for about seven years. And they've translated the Bible, taught literacy. There's a church planted there. They work with a Filipino, uh, they have a Filipino co-worker. 
<clears throat> and man, it was sweet. It was another one of those Sunday mornings where, like, I mean, they don't look like me. They don't smell like me. There were chickens, like roosters coming in. There were dogs fighting. There was, I mean, you can see these windows, like they've got risers there. Those are like about five and a half feet up in the air. Kids are sitting in the windowsills. They'd flip out the window, grab some fruit, and jump back in. It was not your typical church service. But there was fellowship. They're singing songs and praising Jesus. And, I mean, man, they do church differently, but it was so sweet. There was, you know, testimony and the word of God being taught. And Jesus was moving in these people's lives. And they didn't, you know, wear button-up shirts. And they didn't have, you know, wingtips. And they didn't have PowerPoint. But they had Jesus, and it was so sweet. On the other side of the world, being completely exhausted, trying to ignore the dogs that are fighting and the children that are running around without pants on, you know, Jesus is there changing lives. And that's, that's what Ethnos 360 is all about, getting it there. So the afternoon, we got to go visit this church. This is a different building, and if you look down at the feet, it's kind of dark, I guess, now, but there's no cement floor. It's just a dirt floor. And, man, that was where we spent our work project the next day. It was about 500 square feet of cement that we poured. We mixed it by hand in the Filipino sun. That is very hot. There is, like, there wasn't, there wasn't enough water to stay hydrated. You just, it dripping sweat all over the place. It was disgusting. The shorts did not survive the trip, I'll just tell you that. We carried bags. That's my daughter, Emma. We, uh, we carried bags of cement down this hill just about ripped off my pinky toe. It was, man, it was definitely a mission trip to be remembered. Um, and, you know, they forced us to put our handprints in the little step out front. And <clears throat> after watching the guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, smooth the concrete all day by hand, um, it felt horrible to do this. But they said you have to do this because the concrete will stay slick most of the time. So if you put your hands in it, leave your handprints, it gives us something to grip. But it was, you know, just a blessing to know that we can be a part of, I mean, in this case, literally building the Church of Christ in the Philippines. And, you know, I still talk to the pastor. I don't think he's in this picture. No, his name's Alan, but I just got a text from him. You know, the church that we poured concrete in just a few weeks ago finished the chronological teaching, and they were able to, you know, introduce 28 more people to the body of Christ um, in, in this village. So, like, it, it makes a difference. All the little things make a difference. And that's 28 more, that's 28 more souls that know Jesus and that can enjoy that same fellowship that we get to share. Uh, let's see, where does this go next? Oh, yeah, we visited our uh, aviation hangar near Malibali City. Like, if any of you guys are pilots and you're wondering, how can I fly more? How could, how could God use this? Man, we could use you on the mission field so much. The pilots are like literally a light, not like literally, they are literally a lifeline between the outside world and these missionaries in the tribe. Philippines has gone all to helicopters because it's so much faster. Um, but pilots all around the world, man, flying into jungle airstrips and bringing food and encouragement, uh, taking medicine. It, I mean, it's like an episode of Bear Grylls whatever, what's that new show, You versus Wild, not You versus Wild, but whatever, like you can click, choose your own adventure thing, like that's their daily life, it's just so cool, we spent a day trying to figure out what in the world we just saw uh, with 10 people that had really never been to see tribal missions, 
and uh, it was beautiful. Uh, they had some freaky large snails. That's what that picture of my finger is. Um, yeah, watch out for the snails. But I guess if escargot is your thing. Uh, Philippines is a cool country. I'm just going to skip through this because, number one, I don't have time. And I really want you guys to uh, hear what I'm going to say in just a second here. Manila is just a big city. It's the most densely populated city in the world. They, like, they fight with Beijing, I think I heard, for the most densely populated city. But, man, the trip was amazing. My daughter said this, and I thought it was a good quote anyway, so I'm going to throw it up here, and I'm going to leave this on the screen. But this trip was a really great way to see the 360 degrees, the, the all-around side of missions. If there's a thing that you want to do, um, if there's a, you know, a drive, a ministry that you got in mind, um, man, God can probably use you. If you're looking to serve Jesus and not seek your own crown, like we sang about just a little while ago, we got a place for you, man. We got a place. So just to be clear, I didn't come up here just to talk about mission trips, though I do want you guys to know that, man, you guys have such a blessing. You got a stellar pastor here, uh, you know, and you've got a body of Christ that's doing things uh, in the community. I can see you guys pulling people in. Um, again, I stalked you online. I haven't been here hiding in the back or anything. You know, you guys are doing things in your community, which is fantastic. Uh, but there is a whole lot of world that d hasn't even had the chance to hear that it's better in, in his courts. And I want to challenge you guys to get out of there. And the verse that God used, man, I'm not even going to get through these notes. This is like a joke. I tell you what, the verses that God used to challenge me in, <coughs> excuse me, 1998, shortly before I met Jeremiah, were in Romans. And it happened on a hillside in Papua New Guinea, which was also green and lush like that, but there was no freaky rope bridge that's swinging every which direction. But it was Romans chapter 10. And if you guys want to look at it, you're probably familiar with it because it's, it's not like a new verse. I think I just shut your phone off, but I'm done with stuff, so I'm going to set it down here. Don't lose it. Uh, and I'll try not to step on it. So Romans chapter 10. So one of the assignments, uh, I went on a trip called an interface trip, and it was a six-week class. It was a college course. It wasn't missions. I didn't share the gospel because I can't speak pidgin English. I, you know, I, I'm not even there in 1998. Went on this trip, and one of the assignments was take your Bible and a notebook, and I want you to go out on that hillside, and I want you to tell me what the Bible says happens to people that have never heard about Jesus. And let me tell you, that was a very disappointing exercise for me. I had these high hopes that, you know, there was some like, not magic fairy, but like, I don't know, something magical was going to happen and everybody got the chance to hear and I couldn't find it. You know, we had like two hours and I, I combed through my Bible, uh, you know, my NIV thin line Bible, uh, trying to find where somebody is going to tell these people. But the only answer I could find was that I was going to have to be part of that. And Romans ten fourteen is where I ended up and this is the verse that has continued to haunt me in a great way for really the rest of my life. I'm going to read these to you. Again, you probably know them, but we're going to talk about them for a second. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers that bring good news. Now, I'm gonna, like brief context, you guys know the letter of 
book of Romans was a letter written to a church in Rome, and Paul wanted to make sure that they understood the importance of the gospel. And this passage is so great for us because he wrestled through so many things to get the Roman church convinced that they needed this gospel. Many of them had already heard it, but the details weren't exactly clear. So he wrestles his way through it, and he paints the picture, you know, like... Like, we don't have, we don't do it so often now, but, you know, the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, the Septuagint was what they had, the prophets, and Paul goes through and points to Christ over and over and over again to the Roman church to get them here, and by the time Paul gets to this passage in 14 and 15, he is, he's, it's almost like he's fishing, you know, he has thrown these lines out through the book of Romans, um, uh, you know, just like bait casting, you know, not bait casting, but fly casting, you know, how you just flip it out and pull it back and flip it out and pull it back until he gets the church to this verse in Romans ten fourteen, And it's the verse that <clears throat> I, I see like that. That's really what his style was. He he's got him hooked and he uh, obviously is inspired by the Holy Spirit to share these things as clearly as he has. And then he begins to ask these questions. How can they hear? How can they call on Christ? How can they know Christ if nobody goes to talk to them? How can people go to talk to him if nobody sends them? And, and these are the questions that I had to answer at the end of that trip. And these are the questions that I continually have to answer as I, as I work through. What is, God, what is God doing with my life? And I ask you guys the same questions as I wrap up here. What, what but the hardest of hearts can't hear that call in Paul's verses, or Paul's words here in these verses? <clears throat> How can you not hear the call to share the good news, good news with those who've never heard it? I, I just read a little study a while ago that said by 2025, um, Again, it's about 3 billion people will have no access to the gospel. And 50% of that 3 billion will be illiterate, which is crazy. We, I mean, we have so many different options. You know, I've got a NASB, I've got an ESV, I've got an NLT, I've got an NIV. You know, we can read the Bible in as many languages as we want. I mean, I, Jeremiah's office, he's got commentaries. I've got commentaries in my office and books about Christian life, and, and there's still almost 3 billion people that have never even heard. So, you guys know the lines. You've heard it. The fields are ripe. The workers are few. Man, I want to, let me close up with this story from a graduate, pretty recent. Um, these are the Schroeders. Some of you may know them. I don't know if you know them. Anyway, um, they related this story. Friends, if you've ever heard us speak in your church or small group, you've heard us read tribal letters. Letters from tribes in Papua New Guinea that are be begging for missionaries to give them God's talk. They've got mail bags full of these. Rip your heart out. So Saturday, a nearby tribe hiked barefoot for several hours to get to the tribe. We're doing bush orientation in right now to bring one of those letters. They met with Chris and Axel, the missionary guys serving here in Paul, and Stephen. This is her husband. Stephen mostly observed and watched Chris and Axel handle the situation. Here's what the letter said. 
Axel. I am a leader who looks out for Community 10 Voting District. Philip Tenno, along with Adam Ivanbell and his family line, are of one stomach, that means we're united, uh, in asking you to quickly come and live with us. We're ready for you. We're asking you this month to name a week or day when you can come. We're not asking you to give us money. We're asking you to give us a school to teach us about new life and other things. We're hoping for the talk that has new life that talks about Jesus. That's all. We're waiting for you, so don't delay. That is all. This is my short talk of what the leaders are saying and the man who brought this. Please text me when you decide what day you're coming to us. Well, the missionaries had to explain to these tribal leaders that they can't make any promises like that. They aren't the people who get to make the decision, but they will share their decision or their desire for missionaries with leadership. This isn't the first time this tribe has asked for missionaries. They also explained that Stephen is in the process of picking teammates and a tribe, so we'd be praying about what our future holds and for this people group to get missionaries soon. Guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Will you come? Will you pray? There are so many unreached tribes here in PNG begging for missionaries, hundreds of them, so many letters like this one. Stephen said to me that night, it's one thing to read letters like that when you're doing support raising in America. It's quite another to sit across from one of these tribal leaders who's handing you the letter and see his face fall when he hears that he might not be getting God's talk, the gospel in his language, for a very long time, or ever, even ever in his lifetime. Pray, give, get trained, and consider coming here. Pray about how you can be involved, and pray for our future as we form a team and choose a tribe in the coming months. And then she closes with the same verse that I was talking about. How then will, we call, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have sent? I'm sorry, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How, how can they hear is the question that just rings in my ear. We can tell them. We can tell them together. We can tell them. How will anyone go? You guys can help send them. You guys can go. Be an intentional part of getting the good news out. This is, this is Jesus' command. I'm not making it up because it's something simple. This is Jesus' command. What part do you guys want to play in this is the question I want to leave you with. What part do you want to play in making sure the good news of God's grace is spreading to the Philippines, to Papua New Guinea, to Indonesia, to China, to there's any of the three billion people? We need partners to see this task accomplished. Will you join our team? Will you be my coworker? Will you, will you go with your life? Will you go with your livelihood? Will you send people from here and read about Jesus? They can't watch YouTube sermons or podcast, listen to podcasts. Uh, we've been blessed in this, in this country, as Joshua shared, but there's still so many who have yet to hear. Let's stir our hearts to be a part of taking the gospel around the world. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.